Hey everybody, my name is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager Podcast. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. I'm here with Kara Fernstrom of the, what's the name of your podcast again? The Conquest of Bless. The podcast. Mm-hmm. And where can we find this podcast? You can find The Conquest of Bliss on Spotify. Um, There's a little bit on YouTube and really anywhere the podcasts are found, I'll be there. Awesome. So, Kara, I initially was talking to your partner. I think that's what y'all are comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just uh, somehow I got talking to you and I thought you would be a fascinating guest (laughs) to have on this show. So let's let's get rocking. Um. So what do you, why, why why do you do this podcast? So that's a really good question. And I mean, the answer is a bit long and complicated, but the simplified version is that I really struggled with mental wellness, well-being and happiness for my whole life. I was not really exposed to positive psychology or really, you know, useful, tangible techniques when I was young. And then as I got older, I found a lot of techniques and I learned a lot of these things and I really just wondered why it was so hard to find like how to, to access it, you know, whether it was because people were discussing it in like high level jargon or because it was locked behind a paywall in therapy or things like that. I just found that it was really inaccessible, but some of the most important, in my opinion, some of the most important stuff out there for people like that's, that's really kind of the major, the major thing that people are looking for is contentment well-being and all stuff like that. And so as more and more people came to me privately asking for advice, asking for, you know, tools, techniques, ideas, at first I wrote a book and I didn't like it because, because it was so static and because it was only my voice. And there's lots of things I understand and understand well, but I'm, 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 you know, I'm one person. I'm not going to be able to speak to or be relatable to a lot of different people. So I started sort of playing around with the idea of vlogging or blogging or podcasting. And so just like one day I posted on my Facebook what people would rather see from me. And it was overwhelmingly podcasting. And so I just kind of dived in. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, The way I say it, and I think I might have told you the other day when when we met for the first time uh, virtually. um, I feel like we live in a revolution. I, I honestly do. I feel like this is a revolution. Okay, like you can have, it's not like you can have power, but you can have a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you can have power too. But really what you can have is this way to communicate, this way to dialogue. And the thing about, the thing about speaking English, right, mm-hmm. is that... Man, those those pesky Brits, man, they went everywhere. They went to Asia. They went to, you know, they went to Africa. They went to Asia. They came to America. They came to South America even. Blah, 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 blah. So guess what? People learned English. Mm-hmm. So you're speaking English. You've got this big audience already. And like I was telling you off air, if you, te- if you treat people like an adult on social media... They're going to treat you like an adult back. And mm-hmm. so there's your audience and all like that. And I just, 
So you interview people on your podcast, right? Yeah. And the thing I've noticed is how, when I do it, is how human everybody is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for, for lack of a better word. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I often, often find myself saying when, when I get frustrated or worked up about, you know, the the nuances and the intricacies that can that can complicate things is like I just constantly like, okay, human's gonna human. It's okay. <laughs> and move forward. Can you can you give me an example without um sharing any names or any identifiable sure. stories? Absolutely. So um a good example is something that I see frequently is is just people acting out of pain or selfishness so <clears throat> when someone is interacting with someone and they just throw their hands up and they're like you know what screw it i i don't want anything to do with this and then the other person is sitting there in a lot of pain and it can be frustrating from the outside because we don't have all the context right so that's one of those times where i would just you know i advise someone to to sort of take that approach where it's like you know what we're all humans. And so that's kind of an example of humans getting human. But then there's also a lot more like big, toxic, um, difficult situations. Like you look at like, you know, corporate greed is is a really good example of a place where I tell myself that in order to let myself move on from it is, you know what, it's the human condition. It's it's just what what people do. Does that make sense? You know, what's what's, uh, I guess, interesting is people you know you can be a powerful person mm -hmm. or you can be a a non-powerful person just a normal or even just somebody powerless and people oftentimes have a lot of the same experiences and, and a lot of the same basic experiences like the, the famous example is Joseph Stalin, his daughter broke her arm. Okay. And this was a man who had killed loads of people. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. This is, I mean, we're talking, it, he's in the league of the Spanish flu and of Genghis Khan and Kublai Khan. You know, he killed more people than Hitler did. Okay. Yeah. For real. But here he is with his little girl with her arm broken and he was just in tears for weeks. He couldn't get out of bed for weeks. And these hardened revolutionaries, these hardened communist revolutionaries were like, I've never, this is amazing. I've never seen this guy like this. And here he is with his little girl with, his, with her arm broken. And, you know, and the other problem is he's, he's deported all the doctors or he's killed all the doctors. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what? Oh my God, this is so horrible. Blah, blah. I mean that's that's the famous example, and there's other examples too. Like, like you know, you can you can have experiences with dysfunctional people, mm -hmm. and there's a you know there's this like a oh stages of understanding that you go through. Of like, oh, okay. Example: Have you ever okay. seen the Heath Ledger Joker? Um, maybe. You ever seen? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Heath Heath Ledger played the Joker. Okay, 
the thing that Heath Ledger got right about that Joker, whether it was Heath Ledger or the writers or the director, I don't know. Yeah. But somebody <laughs> got this right where you think somebody, you think this crazy person is sane. And you think that because you think you're sane. So you see your sanity in another person. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. And I mean, one of the things that you said that really, um, really stood out to me just now when you're talking about all of this is, is the desire to like, it's almost like, you know, um, we, we, we have a tendency to vilify and we have a tendency to sort of uh, humanize people Hmm. that would otherwise be seen as villains because of like exactly what you said. We see ourselves in those people and, and we kind of like to view people as us or them. And so if they're us, then we we sort of endear ourselves to them and we we look at all their redeeming qualities, quote unquote. And when they're them or other, then we tend to vilify them and we, you know, we push away the things that we see that are similar. We try to ignore them. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance. And that's that's just like a very human behavior is we we want to relate or we want to feel special. Like those are kind of we're kind of always waffling between those two extremes. Yeah. So, yeah, like, exactly. I just, I just, oh, I do find it fascinating. So, yeah, that is exactly what I mean when I say humans get human. Right. You think about, I mean, I don't know. Like, I saw, um, I was watching this documentary, mm-hmm. and it was a, it was an art documentary, um, and they had this picture of like this woman whose name I forget, but she's in the (laughs) Bible. She's famous. But, um, she, the picture was of her experiencing the bliss of God. And I thought, you know, this is what the Renaissance is about. (laughs) It's like (laughs) taking these big concepts and showing them to people. So, yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think that that's that's so like that's one of the things that I find coolest um about history and about kind of humanity is is like like the only thing that really separates us from like, you know, biblical figures who were, you know, experiencing the the uh ethereal and all of that stuff and someone experiencing those today, the only thing is like time, you know. And and sorry, this is a bit off off the wall, I guess, but it's just like, it's, it's fascinating to me how we're really, we're not really different from any historical humans as far as like, we have different external stimuli that impacts the way that we end up ultimately behaving. But like when all things are equal, which does happen sometimes, we're really, really similar. And I just find it so interesting. (laughs) Can you give me an example? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, um, like the the idea of theft, right? So historically, mm. you know, theft was considered bad, but people who, you know, who stole to feed their families or who stole for what were considered honorable purposes, like the Robin Hoods of the world, were, you know, considered to be heroes among some people and villains amongst others. And you have this class separation and 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 how theft is viewed among different classes. And that still exists today. 
You know, like mm-hmm. most people in lower classes, if you were to say, for example, like I stole something from Walmart because, you know, whatever, and that you just give give reasons that you can sort of justify, people in lower classes are going to be like, yeah, you know what, that's fair. You know, screw big corporations, all that kind of stuff. And people in in the upper echelons of society are going to go, well, that's wrong, right? And and it's just like these kinds of ideas. Oh, sorry, I just hit my mic. Mm-hmm. These kinds of ideas <clears throat> are are like they 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 they're patterns that are consistently throughout history. Another great example is we look at power, right? Like you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, people they say absolute power corrupts or power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That has been shown, whether you're talking about people like, you know, the ancient kings of the Bible who would, you know, abuse their powers in pretty much the same way that people abuse their powers today. Now there's laws and stuff that prevent them from doing some things, but it's, it's just like, it's a, it's a, it's on repeat because we're all, you know, we're all ultimately humans with the same basic desires, the same Mm. needs, the same fears, all of that stuff, you know, we all fear so like social stuff, not all of us, yeah. but like as a group, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? What, yeah, it does. What's What's interesting to me is like, you know, when I was in college, when I'd gone back to college on starting what would ultimately be my master's in history, um, mm-hmm. I went through this period where I was very fascinated in the history of human sexuality which is really fascinating it really is <laughs> and it's, no it is but you know somebody um was asking me well why would you bother to study that what 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 is the purpose of studying that and i said i can tell you right now why it's important to study it and she, they were like, oh, well, okay, what? I was like, none of us would be here today. None of us would be on this island continent today if it weren't for the fact that Queen Isabella was hot. <laughs> okay? That's why. Right? And we know that. This is fascinating. We know that because the Venetian ambassador was writing to people who were never going to see her, were never really going to have any real, you know, dealings with her other than official business, right? Like she was very attractive. And he went on for pages, right? And basically, like, this was this warlord's daughter, essentially, Mm -hmm. that (laughs) Fernando, who we know as Ferdinand, married. Okay, so think about, and they, you know, unified Spain, right? And so yep. they then they went out and discovered America, or Christopher Columbus. And you, you can have interesting historical debates about, well, the Vikings did it first, and then the Chinese, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Sure. But how many of those people colonized it? Yeah, who stayed? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I mean, I always find like, I'm not, 
I'm not necessarily like a huge history buff. I remember in school, I absolutely hated history um, because I, I, it's, it's so interesting. Like the high school history, at least here in Canada, is very, very dry. You know, they teach about things that are shockingly uninteresting compared to the things that you learn about later. Um, and now that I'm an adult, I find history to be incredibly fascinating, both in the things that have stayed the same, like, you know, hot people attract people to them, or <laughs> things that have differed wildly. Like, you know, like, I mean, I think that there's areas of, well, I mean, but even then, even then, I was going to say like sexuality, I think there's areas of sexuality that have, that look different today than they ever really did. But even then, like you look at, you know, um, France, for example, and some of the stuff, you know, some, some of the stuff that the French were doing in, I want to say the 16 or 1700s, um, like, you know, like they, they just walked around with no shirts on and stuff like that stuff's still not acceptable today. You know, so maybe maybe there isn't that much difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the and the uh, in Versailles they were tearing up clothes like the rich. But you think about it, like the rip. My mother says with the ripped jeans. You know, that's the same as the ripped jeans today. You know, maybe. <laughs> in Versailles, they were tearing up clothes to show that you know they didn't need to care about how much money the clothes were or whatever. I mean. You know, yeah, it's it's like I said, it's it's very very rich, and I think the coolest thing about like one of my favorite areas of history is sort of the history of our understanding of the mind and the evolution of our understanding of the mind. Do you do you spend a lot of time studying that kind of thing? I I would love to hear you talk about it. I like Foucault and that kind of stuff, or what do you mean? Well, I I mean I don't like I'm I uh, I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm not good with like specific dates and stuff like that, but like, I like, you know, um, I want to say it's called phrenology, how they used to like, you know, they had this picture of how the brain worked and Mm -hmm. for, for a period in time, that picture gave them enough information to get by, even though it was wildly incorrect. And then, you know, moving in and I mean, it's quite a jump obviously, but moving into like sort of Freud's theories on, you know, everything is connected to desire to have sex with the mom or, or like other, I mean, that's not quite what he said, but, you know, like these, these very, very convoluted philosophical based ideas in psychology. And, and as much as a lot of that stuff has been disproven, again, it helped to build what we have today. So even though it was incorrect, a lot of it, it was still very productive in our journey toward understanding the mind better. And then I know it was like the 80s or 90s that we finally, you know, in like (laughs) near the second century um, AD, finally started, or sorry, second millennium AD, finally started to realize, like recognize that we should not just be looking at how to stop people from being unwell, but actually look beyond that into positive psychology and helping people to be well. Right. Like instead of being reactive, we can actually be proactive. And it's incredible to me that it took so many years to get there. Well, I mean, one of the yeah, I mean, but one of the things that I kind of picked up on in history, well, that is the study of history was like different people evolved differently, like at different speeds or different lanes or however you want to say it. 
Like, there's mm-hmm. the whole trope of, like, when my ancestors were in mud huts, you know, these people over here had figured out geometry, or these people over here had figured out pi, or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And here's mine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it's just so fascinating. Well, it, it, yeah, it's really interesting. I think that a lot of that has to do with the whole, you know, necessity is the mother of invention thing, right? What felt relevant mm. to them to, to focus their energy on at a given time. Exactly. Um, so talk to me about when people talk to you about mm-hmm. their condition, about their interior condition. Mm-hmm. Do you find during the... I guess pandemic or at this time that we live in the it's more trying to people or, or what? You know, that's a really good question. I think that, okay. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know if this is like, you know, absolutely correct or not, but I think that the pandemic has been both very, very good and very, very bad for people's mental health. I think that, in the sense that it has been very, very challenging. And a lot of us are being faced with extra obstacles on top of the pre-existing obstacles of just being a human. In that sense, I think that it's not been great. But on the other hand, for the first time in my lifetime, pretty much everyone has a problem in common. And I think that that's really comforting and really unifying for a lot of people. Even like regardless of what side people land on, if they're, you know, anti, you know, uh, COVID uh, criteria or whatever, or if they're pro or, you know, all of that stuff, like we're all unified by addressing the same problem. And I think that that's really good for people's mental wellness. I also think that the fact that it's forced so many people to confront it, um, especially like last year in March, when people were losing their jobs en masse and suddenly had hundreds of hours that they hadn't previously had, a lot of people went inward. And I think that that's been really, really good. You know, you were talking earlier about being a part of a revolution. To me, that's very much part of that revolution is the pandemic forced us to see what wasn't working inside of us. Because suddenly, instead of having something to distract us for hours and hours at a time, you know, and then we just go to sleep after we watch TV and we go to sleep, Suddenly people had the time to examine the fact that they weren't happy or realize there was room to be happier. And at the same time, a lot of people were coming online and doing all sorts of different arts and stuff. And so people started feeling FOMO and and stepping out of their comfort zones. So overall, I actually think that the pandemic has been better for mental wellness, but mm. more challenging. I mean, I heard the statistic about and this podcast is one of these, but I heard the statistic about um, how many people, like how many podcasts were started <laughs> just since March. And oh, I- I'm guilty as charged, <laughs> I, you know, but I forget the number, but it was a lot. Yeah, I think I think it was close lot. to 100,000. I actually started my show two weeks before the pandemic restrictions started coming in. Okay. Um, and so when I started... There was already a pretty flooded market um, for podcasts in general. Obviously, you can be niche and stuff. But yeah. within a month <laughs> when I'd started, that number that I was competing with suddenly quadrupled. 
that's that's huge um i looked it up today there's like two million something podcast publishing episodes um, wow yeah so wow yeah that's a huge number but that's yeah like i said i mean number. yeah the the to answer to answer your original question yeah like i think i think the pandemic has been made things harder but probably for most people ultimately better obviously there are people that are stuck in abusive situations and stuck in all sorts of situations where it's not going to help their mental health because it doesn't matter how much they look inward they're stuck but overall yeah. i think it's probably a net positive for people's wellness one of the things that i noticed and i'm not sure when this happened like when i noticed it but i remember like i literally remember going to bed one night and thinking we really are all just people <laughs> was like i had this conversation with several different people all over the planet like i had different conversations with different people mm -hmm. and they would talk about kind of around the same issues like i'm living i'm at home with my parents or i'm here with my friends or you know i'm with my friends but i have to leave because we're not related and my parents are all the way across blah 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 and mm -hmm. and <laughs> just like i mean like it was just there was like this moment where i was like this whole planet is just experiencing this whole thing basically all at once I think that that's that I had that epiphany too, where it was, and mm -hmm. it's probably because we're doing podcasting and we get to talk to people all over the world. Mm -hmm. But I had this similar epiphany where I'm like, yeah. "Holy crap!" Like for the first time, I think, like in my entire life, everybody in the world is experiencing. Everybody who's conscious, like I know, whatever, everybody in the world is experiencing some version of the same thing at the same time. Like, how crazy or, is that? Yeah, and there was a... So, I again, talk to people all, all over the world, yada, 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 right? Um, so, I was talking to this person, mm -hmm. and they told me this, like, a tale of woe. Like a, like a horrible tale of woe. Mm -hmm. Which I'll be happy to tell you off air, but it was this horrible tale of woe. And then, you know... After, from literally from that day forward, from that moment forward, I never complained again mm -hmm. about anything in my about like as far as the pandemic, as far as whatever. I was like, yeah, okay, now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I it, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, and you know, um, if uh. If it's all right, I have some like some thoughts on that whole idea is like oh, I'm such a such a big believer in looking around and observing what you have and, and being appreciative for what you truly have and all of that stuff. But it's so interesting to me how that concept um, can get weaponized. And of course, I'm not accusing you of weaponizing that or anything. Um but I've 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 watched people weaponize that concept like you should be grateful you don't have this you don't have that, and it's so interesting to me how that and many other things, you know, start out as really really wholesome and healthy way to look at things, you know, like it's super healthy to go hey you know what I'm not suffering from X or I'm not having to deal with X, 
you know, or Y or Z or whatever. But like I said, you watch people. <laughs> and again, this whole humans getting human thing, like weaponize it. I've watched people get like, you know, who are having a hard day. Someone will come up to you and go, well, at least this isn't happening to you. You know, and then that person doesn't have the space to actually like process what they're feeling because they feel suddenly guilty about feeling those things because it doesn't take it away. You know, so interesting to me. I don't know. I just, I just really, yeah, I didn't mean it like that at all. I meant no, like, no, I know. Yeah. Oh my God. There, <laughs> in terms of like that problem, in terms of the scale of problems, like this is a minor situation compared to that over there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and I hope it didn't but, come across like I was accusing you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, I mean, it, it didn't, but I'm just, you know, reflexively defensive. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, so how was, I guess, how was COVID for you and, um, your partner? So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I feel like, for whatever reason, I feel like, like, like we've been really, really lucky, you know, which is kind of what we're talking about before is, is like exactly what you're saying is like, I've watched a lot of people suffer at the hands of COVID, but because I work from home and he, he does construction, there wasn't like, I mean, there was a period last year where he wasn't working as much, but overall we've retained a sense of normalcy and being on Vancouver Island in Canada we have not had a ton of restrictions. Like we have to wear a mask and like the movie theaters closed and stuff, the casino closed, but most restaurants didn't close or when they did like, like the government did this thing where restaurants were turned to pickup only. So the government literally changed the laws around alcohol and pickup so that people could order like a beer or whatever with their pickup orders. Like the government did everything they could in in BC to make it like as few changes as possible to people's day to day routines, which I thought was really cool. So, in that way, we've been really lucky. Yeah. Um, it's really easy to forget how much people have struggled. We also got uh, benefits pretty much right away for the people who lost their jobs. You know, we got yeah. uh, two grand a month. Pretty, I think, starting in April, if you lost your job. Yeah, I think, well, I know we didn't have that until we did, and we didn't have it as near what people needed it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, I can look in my own neighborhood. I don't know about these days, but during the pandemic, I could look in my own neighborhood and see people moving in with people and things like that, you know, like, things like that. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly go around and see a lot more homeless than you ever used to see, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and my heart goes out to those people, like, you know, there but for the grace of God sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, and Lord knows I've talked to people who've told me, I mean, like, I've, I have a hundred and... I think today I have 124 episodes. Yep. At at this point, the vast majority of those are interviews with people. Nice. And the vast majority of those are interviews with what I call normal people. Like I've, I've Mm -hmm. interviewed some experts and some whatever, a couple of world experts really. Um, But the vast majority are, are, are normal people. And I'm very proud of that. 
Yeah. And what they would tell me off air was literally just some of the stories were just so I'll be honest, some of the stories I'm I'm never gonna forget. Um, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, yes. <laughs> and there there's a couple that the whole reason I don't release the episode is because the story is just literally I mean, that's just crazy that story is crazy, some of them. But uh, <laughs> you know. But um I really do think like you were saying a second ago, like people honestly started looking around and do I want to do this? Do I want to keep doing this? And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think that like, and I mean, I'm, I'm sort of what people would call an eternal optimist. I don't really see myself that way, but I hear it a lot. Um, And like, I, I really do see, I see change happening. I see people seeking out happiness, well-being, kindness, community. And I see people like like exactly what you're talking about who are they're sick to death of feeling used. They're sick to death of feeling like like their existence is just to prop up someone else's existence. And, mm-hmm. you know, what's cool is that the people who have even an iota of power to change it, a lot of them are. And with that, we get new systems that are better built to function for their purpose, which is to support humanity, support community. So I think it's really cool. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool that this happened. This so, you know, coincidentally happened during the time of smartphone proliferation mm. where you where you could actually take this little supercomputer and you could do a video conference with your baby sister or you could do a, a, a you know a video chat with this man you know these people in Mexico like I did or just whatever mm-hmm. and it's just so neat and well and that's you know, Oh, that's so true. Like, if we look back historically at at, uh, similar times where people were isolated and stuck, Mm. they didn't have that. (laughs) You know, we're we're so lucky. Or like you even, I mean, just not like I'm on Twitter. And one of the things that's magical about Twitter, really magical about Twitter, is you can get this situation where people start talking about the same problem. Mm-hmm. And you see, like, I'm not alone with this problem. And not only am I not alone, but Jesus, God, there's a lot. How many people are on this thread? Hundreds <laughs> of thousands. Jesus. Look well, at and, that. And what's so cool about that, what's so cool about that is the the compounding nature of, like, human power. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. if we... If, if, if any individual, if we were to assign them a power of, of one, we each have one, you know, power's worth of, of, of ability to make change, right? And, and say you need 10,000 or 100,000, you know, getting one other person, okay, you've got two, you're not really any closer, but if both of those people can bring in two other people, you know, and, and Twitter and, and all social media really allows us to do that, right? It's like a cascading thing. All like, you know, like that's how things go viral is one person picks it, the right person picks it up and then enough people see it. Well, suddenly that power of one, this one idea 
that you've been thinking about, like, oh, I've really been struggling with, you know, um, liking how I look is a really, really common thing is the, you know, body positivity, body neutrality, those movements around that. And I've really been struggling with feeling shamed about how I look. And then before you know it, instead of having the power of one, you have the power of a million or of a hundred thousand, like oftentimes more power than you actually need to start seeing change. So with the the example of body positivity and body neutrality is the ads online now for clothing companies, like it's it's probably about 50-50, at least the ones that I see of people using the traditional models who are, you know, 90 pounds and five foot eleven. And then there's bigger women or there's women who are amputees or, you know, they have vitiligo or all sorts of these very, very normal human conditions that we just tried to pretend didn't exist in media for a long time. But enough people loudly said they wanted it that the companies actually listened. Well, what's interesting about that is, um, what's interesting about that is, um, so one of the things that I've talked to people about is how Google um, Google now today is essentially an ad company. Mm-hmm. And so what Google will do is Google will tailor your ad experience online mm-hmm. to your search history, to your Facebook, to your this, to your that. So you might see the mix of ads that you're seeing might be completely different from the mix of ads like one house down, literally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um and I have the 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 funny, uh, the funny story that I always tell is on this podcast. And at this point, if you've heard all of my episodes, you'll probably be able to sing along. <laughs> but, but at some point, Facebook and Google figured out: okay, one, you're a Winnipeg Jets fan; two, you don't live in Winnipeg. And three, it's it's hockey season. So, okay, here here okay, here's a Chinese restaurant in Winnipeg. Here's the the museum of what what was it? Big museum like the Winnie the Pooh maybe? No, it was. And see, that's the other thing is they probably also know that I have a history degree, so they're showing <laughs> me history museums. And they're showing yeah, me, like, but I also get like. So I also get like on my on my Facebook ads now I get like a bunch of retro hockey t-shirts, right? As yeah. like a product I can buy. Well the reason that is is cuz I went through this kick where I'm just buying crazy t-shirts because I've got a lot of elderly t-shirts that I need to get rid of cuz there's <laughs> a lot of them are too old to go and be seen by three people. <laughs> you, know? you know. I don't well- know. And like, I mean, so a lot of people, I remember, I don't know, I haven't heard it much lately, to be honest, but I remember a lot of people get used to get really upset about them using our data to target us for these ads and stuff. And honestly, like when compared to traditional marketing techniques, I will take targeted marketing any day of the week because traditional marketing is designed to convince you that you want something, whether you want it or not. Targeted marketing is to figure out what you want and then sell you that. Which, I mean, I got to say, I think that's better. (laughs) So here's my, okay. And I didn't really want to, I didn't actually start a podcast today, tonight with you thinking, oh, I was going to tell Kara this. Uh, (laughs) So here's, 
what I really think. Um, and I, I tell my friends and family this. I don't care if Facebook knows that I'm a Jets fan. I don't <laughs> care. One, it doesn't bother me one way or the other. I, I, you know, what I care about is that girl in Venezuela that I talked to who's a democracy advocate and activist, right? Mm-hmm. I care about her privacy. I care that my location data that Facebook collects isn't being sold to some nefarious character on the dark web or whatever, which it is. I mean, you know, I'm not naive, <laughs> blah, blah, yeah. blah. Right. I mean, but then also like you find out Apple makes you pay for the apps now because, because of EU privacy rules. So, okay. I'd rather pay with my data than my currency. Sure. <laughs> but you know, it's like, I don't know the world we live in. it's bizarre it really is bizarre and and i think you make such a good point when you talk about what we choose to care about like i mean yeah like when you frame it that way absolutely you know i care about the privacy of people whose privacy is important you know whose lives are in danger if they're not mindful Mm -hmm. of their privacy or someone sells that to someone Mm -hmm. but uh but for myself i mean honestly like I don't really think that I'm worth tracking down. Um, I'm not particularly controversial and stuff like that. But but like I said, in general, like the things that we care about, it's it's so interesting to me how the kind of like, I don't want to sound like, you know, um, I, I don't know how this will sound, but how fake the world has become. And when I say fake, I don't mean like, like um, people putting on faces. I don't mean acting and stuff like that, like like the LA kind of fake. I just mean like the things that we choose to priority prioritize the systems that we've built up are, are just if you step if I step back and I look at what humans needs are and if I look at you know the environment I try to be holistic in my in an objective in my view it's bizarre how low um uh, on the on the scale the things that really matter to humanity are compared to these sort of uh, created issues like you know like i mean there's a lot of examples but like you know like we've created this system where everybody is in debt to each other and nobody and everybody all at once and like we care a lot about this this world debt this this national debt that we all carry but like at the same time we're not you know we're not teaching children about like emotional well-being or about how to feed themselves, you know, like we have home ec classes are voluntary or whatever it's called elective, but the classes for things like complicated math that only a few um, industries actually use are are considered required. You know, like it's 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 just interesting to me. Can you drill down on that? That's fascinating. Um, what specifically do you mean? <laughs> like which part? Well, like the priorities of everything well i just what else do you see that we don't that we don't prioritize yeah that we maybe should well probably the first thing to me is like you you mentioned earlier like homelessness and to me like it's really really bizarre like i i think that currency is a is a valuable thing i am pro money 
in the sense that I think that it, it has use. But currency being the only way that someone is able to acquire a home in a lot of places in any way, like like in Canada, especially like in the United States, it's a little bit different. But in Canada, it's technically not allowed to walk into the forest and build yourself a home from fallen trees and call that yours. Like we don't have the whole stake a claim thing in the same way that you guys do. Um, but that's one of many things like like I guess what I'm getting at is it's bizarre to me that we prioritize money in this case over humanity. So someone who's homeless, like most, like everybody has some skills. So a homeless person mm. has skills that we haven't deemed valuable in the right way. Or like as, as a person with disability actually is probably a better and easier to explain example is that mm. I can't work a traditional job. I literally physically can't. Every time I try, I end up in the hospital or in my bed for, you know, days at a time because my body crashes, because my body can't do the nine to five thing. That being said, I have a lot of very, very marketable skills. Um, but most of those skills are only marketable if there's someone who, who can do the marketing, because that's not one of my skills. Um, but like, you know, I have a lot of marketable skills and I contribute to society in a lot of ways. It, until, until I was given a title, and I really actually gave myself the title, you know, podcaster and artist, um, and I because I do graphic design and stuff as well. Um, until I had that title, people treated me like I was worthless. People would question what I was doing. They would call me lazy, all sorts of, you know, bizarre things. Mm -hmm. And of course it hurt and stuff at the time, but that's not really my point. My point is that when I step back and I look at, okay, I'm contributing to the economy. I'm contributing to humanity, community in all the same ways as everyone else, but I'm not being given paper in exchange for those things. And that, so it's not considered valuable. Does that make sense? I kind of tried to drill in, but I, I know it makes total sense. And that's, I mean, the way I look at it is the way I look at it is this. There was a man who was the chronicle. He chronicled his county or his region of England for I forget how long. But we use that chronicle. Scholars use that chronicle to this day. Yeah. Right. For all kinds of things. For things I'm sure he never intended. Bede. Bede mm -hmm. is his name. Nobody ever cared about how much money Bede made. You know? Mm -hmm. I'm sure Bede did. <laughs> At some point. Yeah, probably but his wife he, too. Well, no, he was a monk. Oh. Okay. And and see that even gets into I mean, he was a monk back in the day when and see I say that well, this gets to another point I have. But he was a monk back in the day before Luther. Okay. You know, so like a Christian before, monk, right? Right. Okay. So before Luther just because you were a monk didn't necessarily mean you were celibate. Right. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I mean, there's a fascinating little line of thought that I ran into one day because I was like, you know, you know who you never hear from in the whole pot in what they call the positivist school of thought about the printing press. Mm -hmm. 
the people you never hear from in the historical record are the monks that the printing press put out of work. <laughs> That's a good point. You know, you never hear about them. And they're, they're, these monasteries, man, they were, some of them were like palaces. Mm-hmm. And these people had kids and they had families to feed and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, as long as you weren't, I guess, you know, officially married, you could pretty much do whatever you wanted. And mm-hmm. then here comes Martin Luther and here comes the printing press. And, oh, well, that took that job away. Yeah, that took that little gig away and blah blah nobody talks about that Mm -hmm. in the positivist i mean i've studied history for basically almost my entire adult life nobody talks about that as a serious thing like because you think about these um think about the industries that the smartphone has disrupted yep (laughs) you know what i'm saying I totally know what you're saying. Photography. Uh, what's another one? Um, there's photography. There's media. There's um, even the even last, phone calls. When's the last time you bought a map? <laughs> yeah, mail. <laughs> when map? When's the last time anybody went to the gas station or the bookstore and bought a map? And those people are out of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and even even like authors like now, you know, uh, a really good example of something that that technology has changed is authors used to write a book and they go to a publisher. And and now, you know, you have lots of self-published. But the other thing is that there's more skill sets required for the same jobs in a lot of cases. Like authors are mostly expected to read their book for audiobooks, you know, which is something that. (laughs) <laughs> is like like yeah the entire landscape of industry has changed because of because of smart technology it's so crazy but and that just really occurred to me the other day i mean honest to god i was just i was sitting around thinking about something else and then it occurred to me it's like boom it just popped into my head you know who you never you you know the accounts you never hear from are the monks going you know, this guy, Martin Luther, and this guy, you know, Gutenberg, they took <laughs> our job away. We well, had a good little thing going here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's especially interesting is that you almost constantly hear about it on the other side. You, uh-huh. const- you constantly hear about the, the industries that were lost, um, including the printing press, to, to smart technology. You know, it's, it's interesting because I actually often talk about that when I talk about changes in other industries and I'm like well you know like that's what happened with the printing industry and I've I've never thought about what the printing industry put out of business but I think every new industry does that yeah or like what was um um there's a guy on YouTube that I that I watch slash listen to he's uh he does metal covers of like pop pop stuff and like r&b stuff things his name is uh leo melchori i think his name is i think i said that right (laughs) but the thing about it is like he i saw him being interviewed and he said like well the way to get out there as a band is to be on youtube he was like if i were a little bit older and i'd done this earlier 
right? I, <laughs> you know, I, I'd have that stage presence and those gold records and this. I'm thinking, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> well, and it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's like, you know, like what we do, podcasting. You know, mm-hmm. being a podcaster, it's like the fact that just anybody can do it really you know, oversaturates the market. It makes it really difficult to get your name out there, just like the the YouTube fellow was talking about. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, for me personally, and I don't know about for you, but broadcasting, traditional broadcasting, almost certainly would have been in- inaccessible for me without pre-established connections, a lot of education that's not really readily available, you know, stuff like that. So it's kind of a double-edged sword because it opens it up to everyone, which is great. But at the same time, it overfloods it, kind of like information in the internet. As it grows and more people give feedback and I see those numbers get higher and higher and I start to feel, (laughs) you know, a little bit panicky. So, of course, I examine those feelings. um, And what I've what I've concluded is that I feel like when people see you, it's scary because like, like when people are paying attention, it's scary because, you know, you do have a da- bad day, say, and maybe it's not because they ran out of apple juice, but you give someone a dirty look by accident or any number of things. And, and it feels like it's a lot more vulnerable because the more people are looking at you, the more likely they are to look for things that are wrong. Like I look at celebrities and the way that celebrities historically in the 90s and early 2000s were like chased around by paparazzi and stuff like that. And I think if I walked into a store and people recognized me by my face or my voice or whatever, and then I acted a fool, like there's almost like a level of responsibility that comes with it that is terrifying. Well, what about like, I mean, okay, so in the 90s and 2000s, I mean, you didn't have pocket supercomputers, Mm -hmm. right? You didn't, you know, like if, okay, and I live somewhere where the the movie industry is coming here by the day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and like you can even back in the time, like even back almost 20 years ago now, which is crazy to say, <laughs> I could, I could look over and see like, I could look over at my local, at my local steakhouse and see like, Oh my God, that's, you know, insert famous rapper here. And <laughs> yeah. I guess that older lady is his mother. I'm not really sure. Or like, you know, Elton John once handed me the jelly at the store. Oh, <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually. Um, so Kara, um So tell me, um what do you hope to to learn about? Like where do you see your podcast growing in the future? That's a great question. I I really, the biggest thing that I hope is that it sparks people to start their own journeys and find these tools and, and spread these tools further. It's a little bit lofty, but my hope is that future generations aren't going to have to put up with the same type of stigmas and crap that we have. So as far as like how my podcast plays into that, really, I just want to curate a library of of accessible conversations around happiness and well-being and ideally it can reach as many people as possible so that if people are having a hard day they can just scroll through find a topic that's relevant to what they're struggling with and hear people talk about it in a real way so they don't feel so isolated 
but also so that they have access to tangible tools to use that other people have already had success with. Well, um, thank you. And <laughs> you were a very, very nice guest. And well, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. I've only ever had three people tell me it was anything other than fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was exhilarating. Is that better? I think that's better. And you guys know who you are if you're listening. And no, I haven't released your shows yet. <laughs> <laughs> um. Hmm. <laughs> Well, this was a very interesting show, and um, as always, ladies and germs, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. Um, I'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. That was Kara Fernstrom that does the Conquest of Bliss podcast. You know, the thing about doing a podcast that I really like is I like talking to people, and I feel like I'm chronicling this new age and the way in which I came across Kara in the first place was I was talking to her partner uh, a man named Matt who works in construction in um, Canada and I was wanting to talk to somebody about the price of uh, construction materials in Canada and his podcast will come out uh, fairly soon but I figured since I was on record as saying that I was going to put this podcast out today, I figured I'd put it out today. And anyway, um, yeah, so there's going to be lots of really cool guests coming up. And there's lots of podcasts that I've got. I'm, I'm kind of behind. I've been pretty busy. It's pretty banana pants over here at History Voyager HQ. But, you know. The Intrepid Podcaster is, is on top of things and all like that. So anyway, um, as always, I'm having a good day and I hope you are too, people. And really, you need to practice a little self-care because, because guess what? You, you came through a major pandemic and, you know, not there aren't too many people in this world, in the history of the world, really, that that came through a major pandemic and ever in the history of the world. And you people need to uh, go out and celebrate a little bit. All right. So I'll uh, talk to you later. As always, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. All right. Bye-bye.